Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Inside the junk hole. Oh my goodness. Well, sometimes that is better. It just tastes so damn good. Stargrove. Wolfman's got nerve. Here, mommy. Here's Johnny. Thou art the one. What? Star Child. What the hell did we just watch? The All American Spook Show Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the All American Spook Show Horror Podcast. As always, I'm Josh. I'm joined here with my friend Will. Hey. Donnie. Hey. And the Professor Smoke. Yep. And of course, since now, you know, we're what, two weeks past the end of the Summer of the Wolf. Now we're going to move into our our first movie review that we've had since the Summer of the Wolf ended. And uh, we're going to be talking another, yet another movie from 1986 because it seems like there's been a handful throughout our history here over the last few years. But we're going to be talking Maximum Overdrive from 1986. The first and only movie that Stephen King directed himself. We, we've got a lot on tap here for this one. I found we've, I think we've all found a lot of good background information to go over, but we also have a special guest interview today, uh, which we'll be playing here in just a few minutes. We had a chance Stephen to Stephen King? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. If, if, if only we were that fortunate, we were the first ones to get him to talk about this movie in forever. That would be awesome, but <laughs> I, I don't think this uh, this is one that he really wants to talk about. But for various reasons, you know, he he has of his own. But um, we we got a chance to talk to Michael Felsher, who worked uh, on the special features for the Vestron series Blu-ray release of this movie. Uh, he was the one that produced and you know put together a lot of the, or if not all of the special features that you you see on that Vestron release. Um, he was the one to put it together. So we've got an interview with him that we conducted earlier today that we're going to be playing here shortly. So uh, you got that to look forward to. And like I said, tons of background information, tons of fun stuff to talk about with this movie. So I think this is going to be a good episode. I guess before we get uh, into that, we'll just go ahead right now and we'll just go ahead and play the interview that we have with Michael Felsher. How should we introduce you? Michael Felsher, the owner and operator of Redshirt Pictures. I guess we'll start. What's your history with Maximum Overdrive? Well, you know, it's fine. I'm mean, you know, Stephen King fan growing up and everything. But I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina when I was a teenager. I was there from about 85, or late, late 84, early 85 to the middle of 2000. So I guess my formative years were there, junior high, high school and all that. And, uh, it's, you know, at the time, they weren't really shooting a whole lot of movies in Charlotte but they had started filming a lot of movies out in Wilmington because De Laurentiis, Dino De Laurentiis had set up a makeshift studio out there. And they were bringing a lot of movies out to the Wilmington area. So, of course, Charlotte was covering these things left and right uh, because there was a lot of attention. And even though it was a couple hundred miles away, it was still close enough that it's like it still felt like it was in the family, so to speak. And, um, you know... A lot of Stephen King adaptations were happening. Uh, Firestarter had filmed out there at that point, uh, Silver Bullet. And then, you know, Stephen King's going to make his directorial debut with uh, Maximum Overdrive. So, you know, this is back in the days way before the internet and any kind of social media or 
instant notification about what's going on in the world. So you had to kind of rely on news coverage, newspapers, and Fangoria magazine. So I was prepped and ready for Maximum Overdrive for quite a while because it's like, oh, man, Stephen King, this is going to be awesome. And all the trucks come to life. And I was familiar with the short story trucks that it was based on, which was uh, from the Night Shift collection. So I was like, okay, this this is going to be fun. And so, you know, I I just was ready to go. And I'm, I'm just trying to get any bit of information I can out of the, you know, what's they filmed it in the summer of 85. And it came out the following year in 86. And so I'm just, you know, trying to gather up every little bit of info I can. And uh, anyway, the movie comes out, and it, I'll never forget it. Came out for one week in the, the 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 main houses for the full price, and then immediately the next week it was downgraded to the dollar houses, and then it was it was gone. I mean, it was not, this movie was not a success at all, and and uh, the reviews were, to say the least, unpleasant. And it was, you know, it was pretty much excoriated everywhere. And uh, it didn't help the fact that the trailer for that movie was famous because it was Stephen King literally standing in front of the camera going, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, Stephen, I, I, I enjoy Maximum Overdrive, but it's about as scary as a Smurfs episode. <laughs> it's really, this is not a terrifying film at all. It's a, it's a goof. And, you know, Stephen King was already giving interviews around that time saying, this is a moron movie. It's silly. It's stupid and everything. And then years later, we were, he would admit to the fact that he was actually coked out of his mind the entire time he was making the movie. He was really in the throes of a bad drug addiction at the time. And so it, the movie just played. It, 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 I remember going to see it and walking out going, well, that was something. I mean, I was just <laughs> I knew I enjoyed it. But at the same time, I was like, that's. Huh. <laughs> it's just kind of he just kind of go home. How was the movie, Michael? It was a movie. Uh, I'll I'll get back to you. Uh, but, you know, but it was it, it was it's one that I just eventually began to really you know appreciate over the years because it's it's as whacked out a film as you're going to see. I mean, it really is. It's just one of those movies where you just sit there and every character line or every kind of creative choice, you're just kind of like, well, I don't know if I would have done that. That's definitely odd. Um, you know, it's like, it's like, and, and I appreciated the, 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 the real, just sort of felt like a homegrown kind of thing because it wasn't, you know, in terms of visual effects, there wasn't any, a lot of post-production effects, a little couple of crap things with the comet and stuff like that. But it's like, no, they're really blowing up trucks and setting stuff on fire and knocking shit down and blowing. I mean, it was, so I, I, at the end of the day, I really, I kind of felt a little kinship with that movie in an additional way. And I, it, it's it's a kind of an interesting story because in the summer of 86, right after the movie came out, my family, I, we, again, was living in Charlotte. We took a road trip down to Riceville Beach for a little beach getaway. We don't, we didn't go to Myrtle Beach because Myrtle Beach was overcrowded. And I was like, ah, Myrtle Beach. So we went down to Riceville Beach, which is just outside of Wilmington. And you take Highway 74. If anyone who knows the area and knows Charlotte and Wilmington, Highway 74 is the main drag that connects the two cities, and it's still that way. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they had filmed the Dixie Boy right off of Highway 74, just outside of Wilmington. I didn't know where. And again, I don't have any, you know, there's no Google Maps or Earth to look this stuff up. So I'm just like, you know what? I bet you, and I remembered in the movie there was this, ST's trucking company that was next door to it. And I thought, okay, if I can find where that is, if I can see that off the road. So 
as we approach Wilmington, I'm in the backseat of my family car, just looking out, trying to figure out what's going on. And I we drive by this one area, and I'm like, oh, this looks like where it could. This feels right. And there's this huge pile of charred debris that's like it looks like it's ready for a bonfire or something, just sitting off to the side of the road, kind of tucked back behind the, some bushes and trees. And I'm like. I wonder if that's the Dixie Boy. That might be the remains of the Dixie Boy just sitting there. And we just drove right by it. And I was oh, convinced wow. I was right. I was convinced I had actually seen it. But as the years go by, you think, well, could that have been real? I mean, they filmed it in 85 and this is 86. They're not going to leave a whole bunch of woody debris just lying out there by the road for over a year. And I, you know, this, that, and there was just a big open area. It's like, that could have been any. So for years I doubted it. I just just I kind of talked myself out of believing that's what I actually saw. Now the opportunity comes to work on the Blu-ray uh, for the Vestron line for Lionsgate, and I went down to Wilmington. This was in the summer of oh what was this 2018 I think, and I went down to Wilmington for about a week and a half to interview as many people from the area that had worked on because a lot of people a lot of the uh, you know, model makers and craftsmen, a lot of the crew were still in Wilmington because they were locals that the, the movie studio took advantage of and everyone just stayed there. So a lot of people were still that had worked on that movie in one capacity or another were still in Wilmington. So I wanted to do this whole feature about the dealer rented studio and Wilmington really focus on maximum overdrive. So I got a hold of a lot of people down there. And so I was there for about a week and a half and I went and shot a lot of the locations too. And there's surprisingly quite a few of them still around. And I found out where the Dixie boy was. And sure enough, it was right off of 74. And I get out there and I'm like, God, you know, I still feel like this. I bet. I wonder if this is where I passed by when I was a kid. Cause I should, but you know, again, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. And I, and I see the ST's trucking company, but I don't remember seeing that when I was a kid. I was like, I don't know. Anyway, if you go down to Wilmington and you, you're running around on private property, you really need to make sure that if you're going to do it, you do it quickly and fast, or you call the owner of the property and let them know that you're there. Because there are signs around there saying, no trespassing. If we see you and we don't know you, we will shoot you. <laughs> and I mean, so it's like, they're not, they're not, they're not fucking around down there. So it's like, okay. So on that property where the Dixie boy was, there's an office complex kind of set back a little bit. And I saw four lease signs. So I called that number and I spoke to the, the guy who picked up older gentleman. I said, uh, sir, I'm doing this thing with maximum overdrive. Do you mind if I just shoot some B roll of where the Dixie boy was out here? I just wanted to have your permission first. And he's like, Oh sure. Yeah. I can go ahead do whatever you want. And he mentions, ah, you know, I actually bought that property after they left. Um, that after they left the movie, because I supplied a lot of the trucks that were in the movie, because they were pulling trucks from all over, and I gave them I don't know how many trucks to use for the film, and it's like, oh wow, really? He said, oh yeah. So I talked to him for a little bit. I was about to hang up with him, and I went, wait a minute, sir, I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, you shot in '85 and in '86 when the Dixie Boy blew up. I am, and you piled all that debris together. Is there any chance that the debris from the Dixie Boy was in a big, big pile that sat kind of off to the side of the of seventy four, and would have been there for at least over a year by the after you shot it? And he went, 
Oh yeah, no, we had it piled up right behind these bushes, right there off uh, 74, and it stayed there till like maybe two years, three years later. And I'm like, thank you, and I hung up. And I was like, I did see it. It was exactly. I, I felt so vindicated. It was just like, yes, I wasn't completely out of my mind as a kid. I did see the Dixie Boy remains. So it was really nice to have that little memory vindicated. <laughs> Thirty but, years later. Yeah, 30 years later. But then it was very quickly kind of countermanded by something else that I had never realized before. Or I had never put two and two together. When we drove out on that vacation, like I said, we take 74 out of Charlotte. You pass through a whole bunch of different cities and then pretty much nothing in Wilmington. One of the cities you pass through as you leave is a little town called Wadesboro. And right off of Wadesboro, there was a, uh, a junior high school or it was a, maybe it was a middle school that had been taken over for a film shoot that was going on in the summer of 86, right by when my family would have been driving back and to Wilmington. And we could have literally reached out and touched where this place was without knowing it. And if I had known, I would have jumped from a speeding car to go to this place. We drove right by the location where they were filming Evil Dead 2. Oh, oh sweet. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and all those guys were literally right off the road. And I know this because I filmed all that location for the Evil Dead 2 Blu-ray a number of years before, but I never put it together that that same family vacation when I was so concerned about Maximum Overdrive. I had no idea Evil Dead 2 was right on the way down and the way back. Because if I had known, I would have jumped out of the car and said, pick me up when you come back. And like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was... Uh, uh, that it's just weird how these old things happen. But the, the week and a half I spent down in Wilmington was fascinating because I got to meet so many great people that worked on that movie and had so many stories about that production. It really was as kind of wild and uh, crazy as you would imagine it was. Oh, I, I can I can only imagine. Yeah, we actually talked to, uh, like I mentioned, we talked to Larry Sprinkle. That, that was last October, and we were actually talking to him about uh, Trick or Treat, which oh. he which he was in, you know, the scene in that movie um, where Ozzy has been, you know, Ozzy Osbourne is in that movie and he's being interviewed by someone. That's Larry. Oh, okay. And so we, we had a little, you know, talk about his experience there on the set and everything and the little bit he did, but he actually worked on Firestarter and a, and a, a ton of other movies uh, that were being made, you know, there in Wilmington during that time period. Yeah. I mean, there were so many of them. Uh, I mean, it was just, there was, you know, they were, and they were filming them from between like 84 and 88. I think they were filming like five or six a year yeah. and they were all down there for one. And there were a lot of, a lot of action movies. They filmed the Schwarzenegger movie, Raw Deal down there. Uh, the Mickey Rourke movie, Year of the Dragon. Uh, they did, I mean, just a ton of King Kong Lives was down there. And uh, they had, uh, you know, Crow, Hudsucker Proxy later on in the early 90s. And, and Super Mario Brothers was filmed down there. I mean, eventually Dawson's Creek set up shop out there. Mm. And so, yeah, it's it that there's still, you know, the, it's the Scream Gems studio now. Um, but uh, just, they've been still filming television and uh, uh, movies and everything down there. For, you know, and that was all De Laurentiis. They took over some old uh, hangars and stuff like that, some old empty buildings. And they used this uh, cement factory for a lot of stuff where they would build big elaborate sets and it was all just sort of uh, Dino De Laurentiis just took a shine to the area and they were able to pull in talent from other areas that were close by, like, you know, New York wasn't that far away and also Atlanta and so forth. So it ended up being a really, unfortunately, the industry has kind of died off 
quite a bit since it was, you know, back in the heyday. And that was one thing when I was talking to everybody down there is that they really miss having, because a lot of these guys would never have had a chance to do anything creative like that. Cause they're all in just sort of the trades, you know, textiles yep. and, you know, construction and stuff like that. And the film community down there, suddenly there was an opportunity to do something creative and artistic that they never would have had a chance to do. But everybody had great stories and still had mementos from the set. Like one of the guys still had a couple of the model trucks that were on the fake bridge set from the beginning of the movie. Like he had the ACDC van and <laughs> stuff like that. Well, the best one, I go out, there's a guy, uh, uh, He I got hooked up with this guy through another crew member and he had helped with some of the grading of the roads and the construction to, to sort of lay the, the foundation for where the Dixie Boy was going to be built. He said, you want to talk to this guy? Because he he actually has some pretty good stories. I'm like, okay. So we go out to his location, which is way kind of east, outside of Wilmington, but it's way down this dirt road. It's it's down a, it's down an area you would never venture to on your own. Uh, <laughs> it's just kind of, I had to go there to know it was there. Then we drive up, and there's stuff just lying around all over the place on the property. And it turns out it's a lot of trucks and a lot of uh, specialized props and things from movies that he's worked on there in Wilmington over the past 30, 40 years or whatever. And I get out of the car, and he says, hey, I think you're going to want to film your interview over here. I'm like, okay. I walk over, and lying there off the side of the road is one of the goblin heads from Maximum Overdrive. Wow. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And I'm just like... Yeah, I think I want to definitely do the interview here. <laughs> this is gonna be like, holy shit! So yeah. if you want, if you look in the featurette, there uh, a couple of interviews are filmed in front of that goblin head because it's like this, and it was in, it was one of the stunt uh, heads. It wasn't designed to for any of the real close-ups, but it was like, good lord, it's just lying there. Yeah. You, there are people who would kill everybody on this in the city to get a hold of this thing. <laughs> well, and but he just got laid in this heap. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just lying there. But it was, it was. Uh, and I had to keep a, make a promise to not reveal where it was. And even if I did tell you where it was, you would never want to venture out there on your own because it's 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 remote. And he has, uh, uh, let's just say, you would not be able to get in there without someone spotting you and saying, "What the hell are you doing here?" Mm. So it was uh, a little a little scary in that respect. But he was a really sweet guy and told me all sorts of stories. Then you know, one person would say, oh, "You got to talk to this person. You got to talk to this person." I think one of my other favorite memories was. I figured that the uh, Wilmington uh, newspaper down there would have covered Maximum Overdrive as well as a lot of other movies pretty extensively. And so the archives for the paper, I, which the name of it is now Escape, I think it's the Star News, had been turned over to the public library down there. So I go down to the public library and I find the person I need to speak to. I said, look, um, can you look up and see if there's any photographs or any of the, because I've got access to the paper, but I was wondering if maybe the photos themselves still exist that the you know the photographer would have taken in the day maybe there's i mean you know it's, it's a remote thing it's like what movie are you looking to get information on i said maximum overdrive but like okay so he goes out walks down comes back up on an elevator and comes back walks up hands me a file folder with like 30 photos of from the shot from the shoot of the movie that i've never seen before wow. and i'm like uh Thank you. And it's like, well, I was like, well, you know, and I was saying, I was like, well, um, first of all, would I have your permission? Say, so, yeah, since they're donated to the library, you have, you can use them for whatever you want. I'm like, okay, but I need to get like high risk scans of these things because I can't just take photos or do like a photocopy; they just won't look good. So, well, we offer high risk scanning services, but we do have to charge you. 
Like, oh, I understand. Well, how much? Well, it's going to be 25 cents a scan. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shit. Um, <laughs> here, here's five bucks. Go nuts. You yeah. know, it's just like, and then they just emailed it to me like two hours later. You know, I was I, by the time I got back to the apartment I was staying at there in Wilmington, they had already scanned them and sent them to me. You know, it was just like, God, man, this is great. So, yeah, it was a wonderful week and a half down there. And, and Maximum Overdrive is one of my favorite projects that I've ever gotten to work. It's probably in the top five because I had that little bit of personal connection to it. You know, it was filmed not far from me and that little story when I was a kid and stuff and my connection to Stephen King. And I just went as I went as balls out on that as I possibly could. I knew Stephen King wouldn't talk about it. Uh, he rarely does interviews anyway, and you know, according to everything I've heard from what he's talked about over the years, uh, this wasn't the easiest memory for him uh, to to look back on because of uh, you know the, the the substance abuse issues he was dealing with at the time. Yeah. And also, he didn't really. I don't know if he necessarily wanted to direct. I think he felt some pressure to do it. Uh, but you know, it's funny. All the people that I spoke to, because of course, you know, everything, everyone I interviewed, I asked what was Stephen King like. Everyone had really great memories of him, but they all remember, oh yeah, no, Stephen was great. He was a really fun guy. We, everyone really liked him. But um, yeah, every now and then he would just have a little. It was called the special, and it was something would show up in a cup, and he would start drinking it, and then. They'd be one after the other, and it's just like after a certain point, it was just like I think Stephen's kind of gone for the day, and you know it was just. But everyone was not like, oh, what a creep or anything like that. So they all were just kind of like, guy, he seems to be going through some shit right now, you know. And uh, but they had a lot of a uh, lot of fond memories of him. Everybody, everyone seemed to regard that movie as, and it was funny. Everybody regarded the movie two ways. Yeah, it was a fun, wild production to make, and. Oh my God, people still watch that movie? Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of them were just like, I can't believe you're actually here talking to me about this movie, you know? But it was, uh, yeah, there was a lot of really fascinating stuff. Well, uh, what we do, just to kind of wrap it up, um, usually on, on every episode when we talk about a movie, we kind of give our own star rating, you know, zero through five. So I guess mm. we can kind of give you a moment to kind of give your rating and give your thoughts on the movie itself. Now, uh, when you say zero to five, are you t what kind of a scale is this in terms of how do we view this movie? I mean, are we comparing this to Citizen Kane? Are we comparing this to, uh, you know, what's the what's the what is no. that? What what is what do you give? A, let me give me an example of what you've given a five star rating to. Uh, per Professor, what have you given a five star to? I think the only movie so far that we've given now I'm kind of lenient somewhat. I try to back off that leniency and. <laughs> Not just did, did, you know dole out five stars, but the only movie I think I gave a five star to so far was Reanimator. It was okay. that's just a favorite. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So that, okay, all right. That's the highest rated one right there. Okay. That, that we've ever talked about. All right. Well, that that gives me an indication of what we're where we're talking we're talking about here. Okay. I out of that scale, if Reanimator is a five, I would give Maximum Overdrive a three because is it a good movie in terms of sensible plotting? Uh, great, clever dialogue, low-key, uh, effective performances. Um, no. But it does have a weird, twisted spirit that's very much unlike anything else that you can find. There's really no other movie I can compare that movie to. And it moves very, very well. 
and everyone on who's in the film, even though some of the performances are as as ripe as a you know three month avocado, uh, it is it is a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, I can't deny that I have a lot of fun when I watch that movie. So for me, it's a three star effort in terms of just I can watch that movie at any time and have a good time with it. You know, it may not be it may not be uh, high quality cinema gold, but uh, you know, by God, there's again, there's no other movie quite like it. No doubt. Um, so I, I guess with that in mind, where can uh, people find you online? You know, if they want to, they want to hunt you down. Well, that's a that's a horrible way to put it. Um, <laughs> I said, they're gonna hunt you down. They're gonna yeah. find you, <laughs> and then they're gonna hurt you. Um, yeah, no, I can be found on Facebook uh, through my own name, Michael Felsher. I have a Redshirt Pictures Facebook page, which I never update. Uh, so there's that, but then there's also uh, my website, redshirtpictures.com. I, I have a Twitter account, but I never use it. So I'm I'm pretty much just a Facebook guy. So either go to my website or find me on Facebook or whatever. And, uh, I will, uh, answer whatever questions you have after you've hunted me down. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, uh, we appreciate having you on and, uh, maybe you can, uh, swing by in the future when we have another one, another one of your projects we're going to be talking about. I'll be happy to. It was fun guys. I really enjoyed this and it's always good to connect with people, uh, fat back from down home. Uh, you know, even though I've been gone for well over 20 years, I have a lot of, uh, great memories of Charlotte and uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of connections still in that area. So it's good to, and what's, what's frustrating is you guys are getting shows like uh, mad monster party and these other conventions. Now, when I was there, none of that shit ever happened. <laughs> you know, we were uh, the, the lucky, we were lucky to get a heroes aren't hard to find comic book convention. And I didn't give a crap about comic books, you know, every now and then they would have someone that kind of crossed over to horror a little bit. But I never got to go to any convention because they never had anything like that. And then I leave, and then and then the word went out. Okay, Felsher's gone. We can bring the cool stuff in now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks yeah, we, a lot. Pretty much every year for like the last handful of years, we have like Ma uh, Mad Monster Party, uh, Days of the Dead. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Good for you. Days. Yeah, that's great. I'm really happy. <laughs> really, really happy for you. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> I would. You know what? I, I would have killed for anything like that. Back when I was growing up, I had nothing, man. <laughs> we, still, <laughs> just... we still have Heroes Con, so there's that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's that's nice, but yeah. So I'm I'm a little I'm a little envious that all that stuff shit showed up after yeah, I yeah, left. Now, yeah. But what are you what are you gonna do? All right, man. Appreciate you uh, coming on, man. It was a lot of fun. All right, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate thanks. it. All right, so there you go. So uh, you know, a lot of he had a lot of cool stories cool background information you know that uh you don't normally hear so it was cool to get that perspective of it uh you know and get his personal thoughts on the movie and everything like that so uh he gave it three stars you know based on our scale so we'll see what the rest of us have to say at the end of this episode i but i guess before we get into the background and our initial thoughts and everything i'll go ahead and toss it the trailer for maximum overdrive hi my name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, 
You ought to do it yourself. And who was driving it? I don't know. It was my first picture as a director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. What is going on? I don't know! I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. <laughs> I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let us be in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. All right, so there you go. That's the trailer. Now that's an that's a pretty interesting trailer, though, isn't it? Like it's 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 uh it's different from the the normal trailers that we toss to here. <laughs> it's it, it's Stephen King himself promising to scare the hell out of you. Um, right there in the trailer. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Smoke, what did you think of the trailer? Like, say, like, back when you saw it back in the day and, and now. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I remember, I remember this trailer. But as we, as uh, Michael had mentioned in his interview, it barely, it barely played in theaters. And I don't even remember if it played in Orangeburg. You know. But uh, I definitely remember the trailer being on TV. And uh, <laughs> it was interesting. I was on, I, I'd, I'd seen Stephen King before. But I hadn't seen him quite like this. It was kind of an interesting trailer, you know. But I scared the hell out of you, you know. Come, come to find out later, of course, it's probably, I think, some of the substance abuse had some, some effect yes. on the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Who knows? Yeah, it's Possibly. very intense. Uh, another, another interesting thing about the trailer is that, the, for whatever reason, they used cues from Halloween 3 soundtrack. Yeah, that is, that is weird, right? Like, it's straight up just music from Halloween 3. Yeah. I, I didn't notice that back I mean, I didn't know, you know, it was later yeah. when I noticed that. Yeah, but I'd seen, uh, I'd, I'd seen somewhere where, like, you know, like, especially around that time, like, it was somewhat of a little bit more common practice uh, of, of movies, like, you know, taking music from uh, other movies, like, uh, I believe it was, uh, sorry about that. It was done well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, I, I, I saw where, like, uh, the Goonies took music from The NeverEnding Story. You know, and stuff like that. So it wasn't like completely unheard of, but it definitely was kind of interesting to have something like that thrown in. I have heard other sounds where it had a composer too, where that composer composed something for say, like I don't remember what movie it was, but I remember the Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I've heard the music from Star Trek: The Motion Picture in other movies, and that's because that composer was maybe worked on another movie and for whatever reason decided to shoehorn in some Star Trek music into this movie and vice versa on the soundtrack. I've seen before where like they they've they've reused the same like laugh track on like sitcoms since like I Love Lucy. You oh, know, yeah. like, e even today it's still like some of the same laugh track bed, you know, that they use in sitcoms. So like it's not unusual practice in movies and television to reuse the shit out of something, you know, for years and years. But it is a random pull, you know, when you hear something like that and you're like, what? You know that has, has one has nothing to do with the other, but here we are. I hate that uh, fucking 
laugh track, man. I can't stand that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Cue the laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start using it here on the Spook Show. So, yeah, uh, I, I guess with that, you know, just talking about the trailer or whatever out of the way, we'll get to our initial reaction. So, uh, Will, I'll start with you. Uh, is this the first time you've watched? And if not, like, what were your initial reactions, you know, either back then or now? Well, I mean, this is definitely the first time I've sat there and watched it all the way through. This is a movie I've definitely seen bits and pieces of, but never like, took the time to actually sit down and watch the whole thing in one setting. It is, <laughs> it's definitely interesting. Like, like if I was going to, you know, like sum it up in one phrase, over the top. <laughs> and not the movie. <laughs> but I'm no, that'll be a next episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, what about you, Donnie? Same, same question. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen this a couple. Um, I think this may be the third time I've seen it. Yeah, I just kind of had to rewatch it for the show. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it it's like it's an interesting movie. It's it's fun for the right reasons, and it's it's also kind of you know. It's like that's there are movies that I enjoy watching multiple times. This kind of rides the line a little bit. Smoke, what about you? I know it's going to be a different story of uh, how many times you've seen it. Yeah, like I said I, earlier, I haven't, I never got a chance to see it in the theater because it, it plays such a short time if it's even played here. Video, video rental was the first time I saw it. And uh, I, immediately upon the first watch viewing of it, I, di- I didn't have all this, I guess, baggage. To come to from it, you know, from people saying, "Oh, that movie sucked," or it was, you know, a critical flop or whatever. And so I, I knew it was Stephen King, I knew it was ACDC soundtrack, and then you, you know, seen the trailer, and so while I watched the movie, I didn't have any other negative connotations, I guess, about it. So I, I immediately like loved it from the beginning, even though it is a sort of batshit crazy movie. Obviously, didn't know what was Stephen King was going through at the time, but when it came out, you kind of like you don't expect this to be. Like, okay, this is Stephen King's first movie. He wrote it, the story. He's adapting the story. And this is what came out. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it It takes you back a little bit. You're like, you didn't really expect this movie from Stephen King. You, you maybe expect a little bit something different. Like, it was a little something scarier. I enjoyed it that first time. And I don't know how many times I've seen it since then. Uh, but it is one that I can watch and do watch fairly, you know, often. But I can't really put a number on how many times I've seen it, but it's got it's in the double digits. Yeah, I, I'm the same way, man. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie. It And it might reach double digits. Although it has been a few years since I sat down and watched it, you know, from beginning to end. I'd say, you know, at least six to ten years ago was probably the last time I sat down and watched it all the way through. But I think my first experience with it, with it was probably on, like, the edited version on local TV, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And it, and it hooked me in right from the beginning. You know, when, when you sit there and watch it, Stephen King, ACDC, and just craziness. Like, <laughs> combined, like and, and you see it right away, you know what I mean? Like, even back then when I was younger, I'm like, oh, I'm in. You know, I'm watching this all the way to the end. I, I got to see how this ends, you know. And uh, I think that still holds to, true today. You know, like, <laughs> it's a it's a weird not weird, but it's a it's a uh, combustible combination, you know, of, of things where you got Stephen King, ACDC, you know, even Emilio Estevez, and like and, and a couple and like these character actors and stuff like that. It's just a weird combination or an odd combination that just comes together just right, you know. For it may not be Citizen Kane like we've yeah. mentioned before, mm-hmm. but it just, it's just fun, you know. It's just a fun movie. But it just it, it, like uh, apparently he lost interest in the movie after he wasn't able to get the the guy that he wanted in the lead. No, I didn't see that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, <laughs> Apparently, he wanted Bruce Springsteen to be the lead. <laughs> he wanted Bruce Springsteen to be the lead, and then ACDC to still do the soundtrack. I don't know what that would have been like, but it would have been. It would have been interesting. It would have been interesting, but I think Amelia Amelia Westervez in there now, for better or worse, makes it. It screams '80s, not just because of him. He's just one of the reasons. But I, I, I think it wouldn't have been as '80s feeling to me, even though you know Bruce Springsteen's part of the '80s too. But I definitely would have had a different character to it. I think. Plus, at the time, Emilio Estevez was like hot as fire as far as like on the scene, right? Like he's part of the he, Brat he, Pack. Well, too, I think he just made the Breakfast Club the year before, or it just came out the year before. Yeah, so I mean, like I'm sure they were trying to cat, you know, eventually casting him. They were trying to cash in on that, but. You know, I guess it just uh, it, it just got panned so hard that it just fell apart, you know, like we've already talked about. But that would have been interesting. I wonder if that was even part of the deal breaker. You know, let's just say Springsteen is considering it. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, this, the soundtrack is ACDC. No, no, I'm good. If I'm not doing it, then I'm out, you know, because <laughs> wasn't there another movie we talked about where it was uh, one of the one? It might have been Never Too Young to Die with Gene Simmons, one of them. Or maybe it was a movie where they wanted Gene Simmons in it, but like. They didn't want him to do the soundtrack, so he backed out. No, I think it was during Trick or Treat when we were talking about that. Like, he was upset that his songs weren't in the movie or something like that. That was something that we talked about in a past episode with him. Oh, you know what it was? I think it was the wall. It was Blackie Lawless from Wall. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yep. They the wanted part. him in it, and, and if his music wasn't in it, then he was out, right? Yeah. 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 So I, 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 I kind of wonder if it might have been something like that. Now, I read. I read that it wasn't. Even, he didn't even get to that point of like sending the script to Springsteen. I think he he wanted him, and then the producer said, "No, we're going with Emilio Estevez." And that's when I think Stephen King kind of sort of mentally dropped out of not the whole movie, but just sort of he didn't get that. He I know that I read that he really wanted Bruce Springsteen in there, and that was his, he had his heart set on that him for the character. And because he couldn't do that, he I mean I'm sure the co- the cocaine didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> he, it, he made a big mound, like a, a Scarface mound of cocaine, and then buried his sorrows. <laughs> Rarely in the history of mankind ha- can you say that cocaine helped the situation. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. Okay? So I guess we'll go ahead and get into the background of the movie itself. Um, so I, I've got plenty of notes, you know, and, and feel free to throw any notes in because there's a lot of uh, background and interesting tidbits and stories on this one so we're talking about maximum overdrive from 1986 and of course it was released uh july 25th of 1986 so we're just past 35 years ago you know this this is the year of the 35th anniversary of the release of this movie it's also known as overdrive that was the working title you know why they were filming the movie i assume and i'm sure that's when they eventually just turned it up to maximum overdrive (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in Mexico, it was known as Eight Days of Terror. And in and in Germany and a couple other countries, it was titled Rea M. Es Begen on Verwormung. <laughs> but I, I just thought, I and only what, pointed... What does that stand for? I, hell if I know, but I just thought it was interesting if, uh, you know, that they called it Rea M. Because remember, that was the name of the comet that uh, passed by in the, you know, that caused all this. Oh, yeah. The previous yeah. name of the movie shouldn't have Shouldn't have been called uh, two days of the eight days of terror. Yeah, was it was it even two days that we saw there? It, well, I guess it was. You know, no, I guess it was because it, like it starts in the daytime. There's the overnight, then day the next day where they're like pumping gas or whatever, and then the next night was when they left. 
So yeah, you're right. Two days. But anyways, I, it was right. Of course it was rated R. The total run time is one hour and 38 minutes. And it was produced by the De Laurentiis entertainment group, DEG, which we've talked about before with trick or treat. And there might've been another film or two that we've talked about from, uh, Dino De Laurentiis, but at, at least those two that come to mind, or this one and that one. Um, the budget estimated that I could find was about $9 million. So, you know, not a cheap film to make, you know, especially for the time. Seven that was spent on watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure the ACDC didn't, uh, didn't come cheap either. So unless they got, unless he truly got them to do it as a favor where they weren't paying them that much. Cause I think there were some, there was some favor, like I, I, from what I'd read somewhere that like Stephen King was kind of the one that brought them to the table. You know, like he asked them to do it and then they were like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, through some, uh, yeah, for a minute too. Cause he, he did want the minute and they agreed to do the soundtrack, but he wanted them to actually be a play a role in the movie. I don't know if there's ever been specified what roles, not as ACDC, I don't think, but to be in the movie at some point, but, uh, they declined. They said they do the soundtrack, but declined to be in the movie. They didn't want mm-hmm. to be in it. And the soundtrack is, uh, I think they only, they only actually recorded three songs specifically for the soundtrack. Who Made Who, of course, and the two instrumentals, DT, which I'm not sure what the DT, what those initials stand for, maybe somebody else does, and then Chase the Ace. All the other songs, of course, from other prior albums that, that they worked into the movie and that fit, definitely fit where they, where they put them in. By watching this movie, you find out who made who. <laughs> who, Willie? <laughs> who? Who made you? Who made you? Um, like I said, it only grossed about 7.4 million, uh, in its time that it was out and it, and it didn't look like it was probably out very long, which we've already alluded to earlier, but I will go ahead and run down the top 10 that particular weekend that it came out. So this is for the weekend of July 25th through the 27th of 1986. Number 10, Ferris Bueller's day off was in its seventh week. Number nine, about last night. Number eight, uh, Another debut that weekend, Haunted Honeymoon, made $2.7 million. And number seven that weekend, Maximum Overdrive, made $3.2 million. So those were two of the three big debuts that weekend. Number six, the Rodney Dangerfield movie, Back to School. Number five, Top Gun, was in its 11th week, and st- you know still raking in. Uh, number four, Ruthless People. Number three, The Karate Kid Part Two was in its sixth week. And number two was Heartburn. And that was the other big debut that weekend. Or I, I should say that was the biggest debut in the box office that weekend. And then number one in the box office that weekend, Aliens, made $8.6 million. So that was in its second week and still number one in the box. So always interesting to look back on those snapshots of like what it was playing up against at the time. So a couple of big titles there, you know, as far as like some some current classics and everything like that, but aliens, karate kid Two, top gun, you know, even back to school, Ferris Bueller's day off. I mean, like that, uh, even past that running scared, legal Eagles vamp, a handful of other movies were playing at the time. So there was some, definitely some competition going on that particular weekend for sure, which I'm sure that didn't help that between that and the, uh, you know, the critics just crapping all over it, you know, it just fell apart. It just unraveled real fast. But as we alluded to earlier, it was filmed at the North Carolina Film Studios in Wilmington, North Carolina. That's the uh, the DEG studios out there. Basically, in the summer of 1985, so like I guess I think it took a few months to do this. So like this would be probably like July to September, I guess, of 1985 is when they filmed this. The film was the first to be made by Embassy Pictures after Embassy had been bought by Dino De Laurentiis. 
because yeah. uh, it was supposed to be made by someone else, and then then this agreement came in, so it was the first movie that was released by Embassy. Yeah, I believe it was supposed to be MGM. So there you go, like a, a much bigger studio, you know, uh, at the time for sure. And of course, this movie is based on Stephen King's short story called Trucks, which was first published in the June 1973 issue of Cavalier magazine, and then later collected in his uh, 1978 collection called Night Shift. And uh, basically, Night Shift is just a collection of short stories, you know, uh, where, uh, Smoke, I think we were talking off air beforehand, like, you, you, we could do a whole episode just on Night Shift, right? Yeah, yeah, I think we I think we should do a spotlight sometime in the future. Just on Night Shift, yeah, just how many, mo- how many stories in there and how many of them have been adapted into either full feature films or short films enough. I'd, I'd almost willing to bet that 90% of them probably have, and, at least, and some of them have been, like, low-budget short or whatever, but... And some have been uh, some more recent, like such as uh, Chapelweight, based on Jerusalem's lot. Yeah, I, I run through a few uh, short stories that were in this book that you know would would definitely be recognizable by you know horror fans. Graveyard Shift, sometimes they come back. The Lawnmower Man, Children of the Corn, The Woman in the Room, uh, a handful of others. Like you know that some of them were you know even turned into something else. You know, like that the title in the book became a different title of the movie that they made, like uh, Smoke just alluded to with Jerusalem's Light. You know, it was kind of adapted into Chapel Weight. So tons of stuff there. And like we said, we could probably spend a whole episode, you know, maybe one of the Spook Show spotlight episodes just on that. That'd be, you know, kind of a cool look at that book. Um, and I think it was his first, uh, like, anthology short story book, too. Because I know he's had a handful of those things now, you know, but... Um, that was the first one back in 1978. I also found it funny, like when I was looking at uh, the list of uh, titles there for Night Shift, almost all of those stories in there had first been published in, in not all of them, but a lot of them in like nudie magazines, like <laughs> like Penthouse. And there was a few others. It's like, so I guess, you know, back in the day, some people actually did read those things for the articles and stuff. <laughs> There's like 10... 10 to 15 truck. page short stories by Stephen King in the copy of Penthouse, you know. I'm sure you're not sitting there looking for that, though. Yeah. <laughs> you just tripped and fell on like a, a classic Stephen King novel while you're looking at Penthouse. Um, I seriously doubt that. <laughs> I, I saw this in a 2002 interview with Tony Magistral for the book Hollywood Stephen King. King stated that he was, quote, coked out of his mind all through its production. And he really didn't know what he was doing. Further on, King has disowned the film, describing it as a moron movie. So we talked a little bit about that with Michael, you know, earlier in that interview. And we've mentioned it a couple of times. But yeah, like he does not look favorably back on this movie. You know, so <laughs> you probably will rarely, rarely ever hear him talk about this. And to that, over on IMDb, it has a 5.5 out of 10 star rating. Uh, 24 on Metascore, that's through Metacritic, which is pretty low because I think there there's their scale is like zero to a hundred or something like that. So it's only 24 similar on rotten tomatoes on the tomato meter. It only has 15% and the audience score is much higher, but understandable in this case at 50%. Another cool thing I'll mention, this thing has actually been nominated for some awards. They're generally not good awards, but (laughs) it has, it does have some nominations in 1987 at the seventh golden raspberry awards. So, you know, they call them the Razzies. Yeah. yeah, it was nominated for Worst Actor for Emilio Estevez, and he lost. He, he didn't win it. He didn't win, win Worst Actor. 
Prince did for the movie Under the Cherry Moon. <laughs> and it was nominated for Worst Director in Stephen King, but he did not win it. He lost it to Prince for Under the Cherry Moon. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, both of these things, both of these, and a prince that were in the Razzies. Now I've never seen Under the Cherry Moon. Have any any of you guys seen that one? Uh, no. no. But next time on the All American Spook Show, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be going through all the nominees for the 1987 Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture, because I believe it also won. Like it tied with. Uh, don't hold me to it, but I think it was Howard the Duck. Uh, it tied yeah, for Worst you Picture. Do that one? under the cherry moon so um then in 1988 it was nominated for i think these are some awards they do in portugal called uh fanta sporto they call them the fantas mm -hmm. uh they have a category called inter it, it, basically it's an international fantasy film awards thing and they their category was best film it was actually nominated for best film in this international fantasy film award and uh it lost but it lost to a movie called A Chinese Horror Story. And oh, <laughs> we need to do that. Also, you've you've seen A Chinese Horror Story. Yes, and I can vouch for that being a really good Chinese horror slash I don't know. There, there was a whole subgenre of horror meets sort of this Chinese black magic kung fu type stuff. So I like it. <laughs> but I, I, I think we should do it at some point. I'm sure we'll Maybe get around to it. I wait Suspiria, you know, based on that one. Don't mention Suspiria when you're talking about anything because <laughs> You'll instantly turn him turn him off of it. <laughs> no, no, I think this one would this one at least would be a little bit more coherent of a storyline. And just a couple of years ago, in 2019, it was nominated at the 45th Saturn Awards for Best DVD or Blu-ray Classic Film Release. Uh, the, the, it, matter of fact, that was the one that we were just talking about earlier that Michael Felcher worked on. That Blu-ray release got not got the nomination. It lost, unfortunately, but it lost to. 2001 a space odyssey 4k edition yeah i just thought that was interesting that it uh <laughs> it lost both categories in the razzies that year to prince random pull time the first time a prince trumped the king i guess yeah <laughs> um <laughs> I, another random fact and you guys might have saw this because you know they always put the trivia stuff up on uh, imdb or whatever but i saw this one and i wanted to point it out i didn't want to forget but I, so i'll read it directly from imdb uh, in the film, the Earth passes through the comet's tail on June 19th, 1987. On June 19th, 1999, Stephen King would be hit and nearly killed by a distracted truck driver. The number 19 has been prominent in his writing for most of his career as well. So I, I thought that was kind of, yeah, that's, that's freaky as hell, right? <laughs> on the exact yeah. date that this happens in the movie, uh, what, 12 years later was when he got hit by and almost killed by a, a truck. Yeah. And of course, I believe the number nineteen played pretty prominent in the Dark Tower series, if I recall. It's been it's been a handful of years since I read all of those, but I think that has that is a number that keeps coming up, you know, and is significant throughout his his writing. So it's just kind of ironic. And as I was watching, you know, th those uh, that Vestron series, I was watching some of the special features on it, you know, that we've mentioned earlier. Um, there was one on there where they had an interview with Holter Graham. You know, he's the he's the guy that played the kid in the movie uh, Deke. He, he he told a, a cool little story where he was he, he was talking about his interactions with Stephen King, you know, like working on the movie and everything like that. And he mentioned that uh, he noticed that Stephen King was like writing some stuff down, you know, I guess when they had like breaks and doing stuff or whatever. And he's sitting there like writing on his notepad. Right. And uh, I guess at some point he came up to him and said, what you working on? He said, oh, yeah, I, I'm just working on 
I'm working on this latest book and you're really going to like this one. It's pretty cool. It's got a clown in it. And then he said, oh, okay. And then he just walked away. So <laughs> literally as he's making this movie, he was writing it. That's awesome. Yeah. And it came out what I think the next year it came out in 1986. Uh, only one other thing that I had that I, that I figured was worth mentioning just because, you know, it has obvious uh, ties and could be interesting one day. Uh, this was almost a year ago. So this was last October, 2020 bloody disgusting had a, article out that talked about Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. Uh, he has expressed interest in wanting interest in wanting to write and direct a remake of Maximum Overdrive. But basically kind of like I guess the idea would be to kind of take the same premise but just update it, you know, for today. Since, you know, we are kind of more connected now than, you know, to machinery and mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, blah, blah, blah. You know, all, all these things that we use today we're far more connected today, even when they were, when they made this movie back in, you know, 1985, 1986. So that would be taking that same idea and updating it for today. So, yeah, I mean, I think if done right, man, that would be, that would be pretty damn cool. Don't you think? Yeah. Have yeah. It'd be, uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, you know, see a updated, you know, version for today. And it would also be interesting if it was the son of Stephen King, uh, doing this too, you know, <laughs> that'd be uh, another interesting plot twist of the whole thing. So, just like um, cocaine. Yeah, little little <laughs> less of that. More of the more of the good movie stuff. A little less of that. It's intermission. It's intermission. It's intermission. It's intermission. Ice cream, candy, lemonade too, and there's a hot dog waiting for you. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So the obvious choice here to look up is Stephen King or Night Shift or any of that. So uh, that's what I typed in and I found Graveyard Shift and Other Stories from Night Shift by Stephen King, narrated by John Glover. And that one is uh, just under three and a half hours long. There, there's a number of different ones. Now, I'm not sure if the if the short story Trucks is involved, which one it's included on or if it's on both. But like I see that one and I see another one called The Lawnmower Man and other stories from Night Shift. And that was just under four hours long, you know, by King and then narrated by John Glover again. So I'm not sure where Trucks is on either one of those, but they're both available on Audible. And of course, just about, if not all, I'm sure just about every single one of Stephen King's works can be found on Audible. So um, I'm sure that's a popular one on the service, wouldn't you think? I mean, he's one of the most popular authors of the last 40, 50 years, you know, in, in American literature. So <laughs> I'm sure Stephen King books are some of the, the most sought after books on the Audible service. But to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow again. That's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. I, I didn't mention it earlier, so I guess, uh, you know, before we get into the background of the movie itself, I'll go ahead and mention it. Two things. Number one, we are a spoiler podcast, so uh, if you haven't watched the movie, you know, put a pin in it, pause it right here, go check the movie out, and then come back because we're about to go, you know, deep dive into the movie and spoil it for you if you haven't. So now would be the time, you know, right before we're about to talk about it, to go do that. Also, I failed to mention some of the places that you can get in touch with us. You know, uh, if you wanted to email any comments or anything like that, you can reach us at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at AA Spook Show. 
you know, search All American Spook Show on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, T Public. Uh, we have, you know, uh, our shop over there where you can buy the logoed merchandise and some other cool designs we have there. That's available. We have our Patreon, patreon.com slash AA Spook Show, um, where if you become a patron, you get a video minisode every Tuesday, guaranteed, uh, depending on the levels, you know, that you subscribe at. You know, over there on Patreon, you get to vote on a monthly poll that like basically you'll vote this month for a movie that we get to watch next month. Various other things, bonus episodes at a certain level, uh, all all kinds of cool stuff. So if you want to get more of the Spook Show in your life, go over to Patreon.com slash AA Spook Show for that. And we just had a new patron uh, that we should give a shout out to, you know, before we go any further. And that was uh, uh, Symphaloon. We mentioned it on our Deadline Horror News video over on YouTube, which those come out every Thursday. I failed to mention a second ago. Um, that's where we go over the latest horror headlines and everything like that. So we gave him a shout out over there. So I want to give him a shout out here too as well. You should be able to find him on Twitter. I believe, hold on, I'll look it up real fast because I don't want to get it wrong. It's at I-M-S-E-M-G-E-N-X. So I'm Sim Gen X on Twitter, you can find him there. So that that's pretty much uh, all the uh, the lead up that I had going into the talking about the movie itself. So I guess we'll go ahead and dive into it. So the movie starts with, you see, I, I believe like right at the beginning, you see the earth and then you like, you see this green glow kind of surround the earth, right? Like that's the first thing you see. Now, I saw something somewhere where apparently like they screwed up the picture of the earth. It's backwards or something like that. Yeah, I did see that where it's, yeah. it's yeah, the image is actually reversed. Oh, uh, well, cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but not everybody was doing cocaine. I mean, oh, you can't blame that on everything. <laughs> well, at, least uh, got, at least they got the fact that the earth's flat, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, as I was sitting there looking at it, I thought it looked weird. I'm like. Something doesn't seem right about that, but I'm not going to overthink it, you know. <laughs> but sure enough, it was just like flipped image or something. Um, but anyways, that's the first thing you see. And then on the screen, the words, on June 19th, 1987, at 9.47 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Earth passed into the extraordinarily diffuse tail of Rhea M, a rogue comet. According to astronomical calculations, the planet would remain in the tail of the comet for the next eight days, five hours, 29 minutes and 23 seconds. And then the next scene you see, it says Wilmington, North Carolina, you know, on the bottom. <laughs> and then there's an outside of a, uh, of a bank. And then you see like the time, what is it like the time and temperature that keep popping up on the bank sign. <laughs> and then it just starts flashing. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. ATM's calling me an asshole. Yeah. And this is where you see Stephen King himself and his, you know, his cameo in the movie. Uh, he's going to draw money out of the ATM. <laughs> and then on the screen, it says, you are an asshole. <laughs> and he's like, hey, honey, come and take a look at this. And then it cuts back and it just says, asshole, asshole, you know, like over and over and over. And then he's like, hey, honey, the, the machine's called me an asshole. <laughs> and then I think that's right when they kick into, uh, you see the title, Maximum Overdrive. And then it kicks into Who Made Who by ACDC. And like we said, you know, they did the entire soundtrack for this movie. Um, which is basically just most of the movie is just variations of uh, who made who, right? Like as far as the music is concerned, it's just like the instrumental version of who made who. Uh, of course, they sprinkle in a few other, you know, ACDC tracks, but for the most part, it's just some 
instrumental or various version of who made who throughout the movie. So then right out the gates, we see the drawbridge scene uh, <laughs> where the, the drawbridge kind of like opens up on its own while all the cars are still on there. And you just see all this chaos that ensues. One one woman like goes to the windshield of the car. There was a guy in a motorcycle. That, <laughs> uh, uh, actually, he, um, I guess, you know, got ejected from the motorcycle and went through a car's window. <laughs> <laughs> and then slides off the bridge. Yeah, just like uh oh. And then there's a there's a watermelon truck. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, that one that one guy who gets out of his car and slips in a whole pile of the watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> like a it's like a Keystone Cop gag in there all of a sudden. <laughs> it's a great, you know, introducing you to the chaos scene because it's pretty much right out the gates here. Like you know what's you know yeah. what this movie's about, like right here. Uh, and I like the, the two guys that are in there, like playing cards or whatever, like the guys that are supposed to be running the bridge. <laughs> and then when the chaos is coming out, he comes in and starts cussing out the other guy <laughs> for no reason. Just starts slapping him. How, why is this happening? God almighty, look around you. Pow, pow, you know, which, you know, I should, before we continue any, any further in the movie, I, uh, what we normally do is we go through the cast and the crew and I kind of forget, I failed to do that. So I'll, I'll kind of hit the highlights real quick before we continue with the movie. Um, this movie stars Emilio Estevez as Bill, Bill Robinson. Of course, you know, you, you would best know him from what these days, I guess, like the uh, the Mighty Duck series and stuff like that. He was in both the Young Guns movies. So, I mean, like he's had a hell of a career and he's actually kind of like uh, transitioning into directing now, too. So, like, that's basically kind of what he's done more of over the last couple of decades. So. Uh, highly recognizable face, big time actor. The guy that runs the Dixie Boyd truck stop, uh, Hendershot. He's played by Pat Hingle, another one of those character actors, recognizable face that you've you know you've seen from a ton of things. The most recognizable things, I guess, to most people right off the gate would be he played Commissioner Gordon in uh, what the first, uh, well, I guess, uh, pretty much that entire like uh, Michael Keaton, like the two Michael Keaton Batman movies. You know, those ones in the '90s, right? I think he was. Commissioner Gordon in all those movies, if I'm not mistaken. And, of course, he was in The Quick and the Dead, uh, Hang Em High back in the 1968, the old Clint Eastwood flick. I mean, he's got 200 acting credits on IMDb that uh, literally go all the way back to 1954. So long, long career for uh, Pat Hengel. And um, he passed away in January of 2009 at the age of 84, uh, ironically, there in uh, Carolina Beach in North Carolina was where uh, he was living at the end of his life. So I don't think that's too awfully far from where they filmed this movie, right? I, I mean, I don't have a map here, but I, I think that's in the same general vicinity. Since we were talking about Pat Ingle right here, Stephen King mentioned that he was uh, an instrumental in helping him shoot this movie because of uh, he had no idea. He had never directed a movie, so he had no idea about technical aspects of how to framing a shot in the right way and all that stuff. And uh, apparently, Pat Ingle gave a lot of advice on setting up the camera and, and scenes and well i mean like like i said you know you got a veteran guy that's been doing it for a long time even at that point yeah you know, he's he's a guy you lean on for sure you know if you, <laughs> i would imagine it stars laura harrington as brett she uh, is the kind of drifter that comes into the picture that you know basically has like an instant love affair with emilio estevez's character she would best be known from this and uh, the movie paulie what's eating gilbert grape let's see the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension <laughs> she hasn't done anything since uh it looks like she was an episode of the television series providence back in 1999 that was the last thing that she did so i guess she moved on to other things but 
uh, a recognizable face and you know she plays a she she's pretty good in this movie uh connie is played by Geardley smith now you know I, i'm sure you might recognize her from a number of projects like she was in the movie as good as it gets um she's got 94 acting credits or whatever but really her claim to fame or you know the, the most recognizable thing you may not recognize her face from but you're going to recognize that voice she's played lisa simpson since 1989 Yep. So, so if she does nothing else, obviously, right? I mean, like she has her place in television history just for playing one of the Simpsons for the last uh, thirty-five years or so, or however the hell. Uh, <laughs> knocking on it, yeah. Nineteen eighty-nine. Uh, Simpsons was on uh, Tracy Ullman. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, and that that would have been what a couple years before you know they actually got the the series. So yeah, yeah, she was the voice of Lisa all the way back then on uh, Tracy Ullman. So that goes back to, it looks like at least 1988 that she's been doing that role. So yeah, a long run. She was in a couple of TV series and she was in, I guess she had a, a part in Heaven Help Us and The Legend of Billie Jean in 1985 and then Maximum Overdrive. So I guess it's not necessarily her film debut, but this is definitely one of her first things. And she was actually uh, right at the same time. She was in an episode of Tales from the Dark Side in 1986 as well. And an episode of Mama's Family, Will. So that's that might be where you most recognize her from. Yes. <laughs> the role of Kurt, now, uh, the, who we just talked about, uh, Yearly Smith's character, Connie. She's a newlywed. Her her new husband is Kurt in the movie. He's played by John Short. Another recognizable face has been in a ton of projects. I mean, you'd recognize him from this. He was in Apollo 13, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That's the one with Jim Carrey, you know, the live-action version. Christmas with the Cranks from 2004. I mean, he's got 40 acting credits uh, over on IMDb. So, you know, a definitely recognizable face, you know, smaller roles in other movies. We can mention Leon Rippey, you know, he plays a minor role in this is Brad. You know, he's just kind of one of the dudes there in the in the uh, in the Dixie Boy. But, uh, you know, he's gone on to have a hell of a career too. 65 acting credits on IMDb. He was in Eight Legged Freaks, you know, that uh, monster movie that came out with... Uh, Golly, what's it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was blanking on his name. He was in Stargate. Uh, he was in the series Deadwood. He was in that Mel Gibson movie that was uh, another movie that was filmed around here in this in our Charlotte region, the area that we live in. Um, he was in The Patriot. But uh, yeah, another one of those guys that's been in a ton of TV series, movies, another character actor that you dec- definitely would recognize the face. Oh, and another interesting one, Marla Maples. Now, she's she's one of the ones that, on the bridge scene that we just talked about. Where the pumpkin like fly or pumpkin, good lord, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Happy Halloween, folks. You know, <laughs> you know, chicken on Thanksgiving and whatnot. <laughs> watermelons. When the watermelons flying through the air and like goes to the sunroof of the car and like there's a woman in there screaming. That's Marla Maples. Now Marla Maples, she would go on years later to be one of the wives of uh, recent former president Donald Trump. So <laughs> she, I, I'm not sure exactly when she was married to him, but. Uh, yeah, the the chick that gets smashed by a watermelon in maximum overdrive married a future president of the United States. So <laughs> one other interesting one to note is very, very small role, a video player, the guy in the arcade that gets fried by the arcade machine. That is Giancar- Giancarlo Esposito, yep. um, who would most, you know, I mean, t- tons of uh, acting credits. Yeah. Very recognizable face, but the the one thing that most people these days would recognize him as Gus Fring yep. from uh Breaking yeah. from the Breaking Bad series and from a uh, Better Call Saul, you know the 
kind of prequel series that, that, that is still on AMC today. So yeah, the founder of Los Poyos Hermanos uh, was in Maximum Overdrives. <laughs> Uh, that, that's really all I had, you know, as far as the cast was concerned, but I figured some of those would be worth mentioning before we continued here along with the movie. And of course this movie was directed, written, everything by <laughs> Stephen King himself. So we've talked about that ad nauseum at this point. Um, but anyways, back to the movie. So we just got to the bridge scene. Now you're introduced to, uh, Handy, who's the guy that drives up with the happy toys, green goblin truck to the Dixie boy truck stop. So you're kind of introduced to everything. You see the truck. With the big green goblin head on the front. Now you're uh, at the Dixie Boy truck stop. So you're kind of introduced to some of the people there and everything. And you're introduced to Bill, who's the cook there. And Hendershot, who's like the the piece of crap owner of the place. You know, that's the Pat Hingle character. And basically there's this scene where like he's wanting uh, Bill to work off the clock. Like he's like, wait a minute, you want me to get paid for eight hours, but work nine hours. Like, yep, that's the way it works because you're a, you're a felon or whatever, right? He'd, I guess they, they explain a little further on that like he was a he robbed a bank. Or something like that. And he, he didn't have work. So I guess this guy basically makes hay like hiring felons to work for basically nothing. Is, yeah, is kind he of does go into uh, like why he. Yeah, because he was trying to trying to. I don't know if he was. He just didn't mention it to, you know, that girl or whatever. And then until. Hendershot. Yeah, until Hendershot met, mentioned it. He's like, oh, well, yeah. You know, just like one of those yeah. things. I'll discuss it if it comes up, and he discussed it. I fucking forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I think he had like robbed a bank or something like that. Yeah, like, something like that. Uh, he, he's on the straight and narrow now, but like he has a shady past. Is the whole point of the story? Um, so then you, all. yeah, <laughs> of course, everybody just <laughs> robbed the robbed the bank on a whim, and you know when they were hard up, they had to rob a bank. So then it cuts to the arcade going haywire. So now you're starting to see that like. You know, between the bridge scene and now this, you're seeing that funky things are going on with like mechanical things and electrical things and all that. <laughs> and in this scene, like this is the Giancarlo Esposito scene where like the uh, the arcade is going nuts. He looks down at the machine, it makes a noise or something, and then it like the the, the glass on the pinball machine bust, and he just looks at it and says, "Yo, mama." <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that that yeah that was awesome and and like the cigarette machine which by the way when was the last time you saw a cigarette machine but back in the day kids those used to be a thing an actual machine where you'd put your money in and pull the knob and a pack of cigarettes would fall out actually but like chopping mall was the last time i saw a cigarette oh yeah yeah you're right good lord i forgot about that and I think we had to explain it then. So yeah. <laughs> by now you should be well versed in uh, what what cigarette machines are. That's out of it unless you scan your ID, right? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it worked. It was really advanced technology for its time. <laughs> they had to make sure the kids didn't get a hold of the smokes. Yeah. Meanwhile, in this scene, it's sitting right in the in the arcade, but uh, all the machines are going like uh, haywire, and like the cigarettes are flying out of there. So this dude's like loading up, like he's taking the cigarettes and. The money's flying out, so he's taking the coins and everything. Uh, then we cut to uh, Duncan, who's one of the guys that works there at the truck stop. He he <laughs> He's pumping gas, or he's pumping diesel into one of the trucks, and then it stops pumping, and he looks down into it like you should, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just like a gun. Yeah, he's looking down into it, and then, of course, the diesel shoots out and blinds him. Then it cuts to uh, Wanda June, who is the, uh, the waitress there at the truck stop, She's back there kind of like uh, in the kitchen, like making a mess of things because Hendershot's talking to Bill over there, right? The the previously uh, referenced conversation. Meanwhile, there's like an electric carving knife sitting next to the grill for some reason. <laughs> and it, 
it turns on and jumps up and cuts her hand then falls on the floor and starts like chasing her around and cutting her foot so then bill comes in and like smashes it with a hammer you know and they're like what the hell's going on (laughs) (laughs) i like I like that the thing like just just like cut her bad on her hand and her foot, and then the other guys like making light of it, like on the other side, like, oh honey, did that knife jump up and bite you? <laughs> Meanwhile, she's got like a serious cut. So then that's when we cut back to the arcade, and this this is when you see the video player electrocuted. Like he grabs the Star Castle arcade cabinet and it electrocutes him. So now he's dead. Then we cut to somewhere, you know, I guess on the other side of town there. There's a little league going on, and then they're like, they you show they they show like the winning play, like you know the kid slides home safe. Hey, we won! And then the coach is like, hey, I'm uh, hey, we won. Soda's on me. So he goes over to the drink machine and he puts his quarter in there, and like it, nothing comes out, so he hits it. Then all of a sudden, a, a drink flies out and, and like hits him in the groin. He drops, and then like, I think it hits him in the chest or the stomach or something. Then it hits him right in the forehead, and then he he drops over. And then all these soda cans are just flying out of the machine and like pelting the uh, other players. Like I think it, uh, it either knocks out or kills a couple other kids. And now will, I guess we'll get to your kill count and we'll figure out whether those <laughs> kids are dead or not, but that should be an interesting kill count. That's all. <laughs> Cause some, some of these like, eh, are they dead? I don't know. Deke, who's one of the little league kids. Um, he manages to get away, but <laughs> it's right as this other kid is on his bike. This kid is on his bike riding across the outfield. And then I, I don't know what happens. Like he hits a chug hole or something and like flips off the bike. And then a steamroller <laughs> just comes in of all things, <laughs> comes in out of nowhere, knocks the, knocks the score, you know, like the, uh, the, the score sign or whatever the, the scoreboard. out and outfield, the scoreboard. Yeah. Over. And then like rolls over this kid <laughs> and just flattens him. Now I saw something in like some of the behind the scenes stuff where it was like, uh, apparently like, uh, I guess when they did that scene, they put like this little packet of blood oh, or blood. something. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it, like it, it exploded and like they, they liked the results, but like apparently the sensors didn't like the results. So they had to, <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I wonder why, <laughs> because it looked like a little leaguer just got his head popped. Apparently is what it looked like. So they, <laughs> so they did not go with that shot, went- but. But yeah, it would be interesting to see the uh, the director's cut, so to speak, which you know we will never, ever, ever see of this movie. But it would be interesting to see a, a, a alternative cut of this movie. But Deke, you know, the main kid here, he gets away on his bike. Now we're introduced to Britt, who is riding in the car with the, the other guy's Bible salesman. His name's Camp Lohman. Uh, and you establish that he's a creep because he's like feeling on her leg and stuff like that. So uh, she manages to get him to stop there at the Dixie, Dixie Boy. Boy. And when they get out of the the truck, the goblin truck, like basically tries running them down. Like she pulls them out of the way just in time. Oh, so like, just go ahead and say this is the straight up green green goblin from Marvel. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean like they never mention it directly, but yeah, it, it is. So now you're introduced to newlyweds, Kurt and Connie, as they're coming down the road. They stop at a gas station and they find a body. And uh, as Kurt is over there examining the body, a truck just you know. Uh, comes by and almost hits him. Like it, uh, he dives out of the way just in time. Then we cut to Deke on his bike, like riding through the neighborhood. And, and this is one of the cooler scenes because you see some of the different, uh, you know, car- yeah, carnage that the machines have wrought. Like somebody's wearing a Walkman and like it choked them out. And <laughs> some of them were just like. The, my favorite one is the woman uh, using the hair dryer. 
Yeah. <laughs> like she didn't she didn't get electrocuted. No, somehow it got wrapped around her throat. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Um <laughs> some of these were definitely questionable deaths in this scene that you see. Like, how did that happen? And of course, there's like a lawnmower that went haywire and chopped somebody up and all this. You know, he's right around looking at all this. Then you cut back to Duncan back at the, you know, the guy that got blinded by the diesel earlier. Turns out that's Deke's dad. And uh, he's like, no, I got to go find my boy. And uh, he runs off, you know, basically as he's half blind from the diesel, he runs out into the parking lot or whatever. And then he gets nailed by a truck. <laughs> and I mean, he just gets like, pow, just nailed over full on pet cemetery style, you know, like to, <laughs> to, to the kid that got it there right after that uh, in the, in the, in the skirmish of this, that guy uh, or one of the trucks hits that guy. Remember the creep that just came in camp Loman, one of the trucks hits his car. So he comes out like cussing and you know, whatever. And then the goblin truck just comes in like, I think it backs into him or something. Right. And like rolls him out into a ditch. So he's out of the picture. Then this is when the trucks decided to start circling the Dixie boy. Like now they're just in a, in a conga line. <laughs> so they're trapping them in basically cut back to Kurt and Connie, the newlyweds they're being chased by a truck. And uh, <laughs> then he just kind of does like a, uh, I'm going left. Nope. I'm going right. And then the truck just goes off the side of a hill and blows up. Now it doesn't like go off a cliff or anything like that. It just goes down a slight embankment and blows up. Also, they had the one car that wasn't affected. Yeah. Well, there's a number of, <laughs> there's a number of those issues throughout this movie that if you keep pointing them out, you'd just be like, you know, they, they break the rules so much in this movie. And that's definitely a, another sign of it right there is like the newlyweds car is just fine, but all these other ones have gone haywire. So anyways, uh, you go back to the Dixie boy. This is when Kurt and Connie, the newlyweds, they, they've managed to, you know, evade that one truck. So they decide to go to the Dixie boy. And then like, he's like, all right, there's a gap, you know, cause they're all circling. There's a gap and I'm going to try to shoot the gap to get in there. As soon as he gets through the gap, like he gets clipped in the back by one of the trucks and the car flips over, uh, Bill and the rest get out there and manage to get them out of the car, you know, to get them into safety. And then Hendershot comes out with a missile launcher <laughs> out of nowhere, because correct me if I'm wrong, like they hadn't introduced the fact that Hendershot has this, right? That one like, bit. Yeah, like just <laughs> there you go. Yeah, just all of a sudden he runs out with a missile launcher and uh, you know, blows one truck up and then puts another one in and blows another one up. I think uh, the next time I go on a big trip, anytime I stop by a gas station, I'm gonna look for their uh, ammo yeah. uh, depot. See if any of these random uh, out of the out of the way truck stops have a weapons cache in their basement. <laughs> so Bill and Brett go down to the basement and they find the weapons cache and then pretty much immediately they find a bed somewhere and then, then they have sex. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know where they found this bed. I guess it's like in the mechanic shit or something. I don't know. Just all of a sudden, like, uh, yeah, they hit it off and now, you know, they're having sex. I don't like the Bible salesman, but I just met you. Let's get busy. Yeah. yeah you're, you're probably almost as equally creepy, but you're cool. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> Come here. You fell in. <laughs> <laughs> the power cuts out at, at the truck stop and then uh that later that night they can hear a camp like the dude that got hit in the ditch he's still alive over there apparently and he starts yelling so uh right at this time you see deke crawling through a pipe that goes underneath the road then bill and kurt kind of go back out to this little like uh, utility shed or something and that has access to the same i guess basically the same sewer line or drain pipe or whatever this is and they crawl out the other side deke uh comes up on on camp 
And he's like, well, he's dead. And then he, <laughs> then he wakes up and grabs him. He's like, if you don't pull me out of here, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's just like it turned, <laughs> it turned him into a demon, uh, lying in this, uh, <laughs> lying in this ditch. And pretty much right at that moment, Bill and Kurt come out of the, uh, the drain pipe just in time to save Deke. But meanwhile, campus has died somewhere between making the threat and them arriving. He just, bleh, he fell over dead. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just leaned back and went blah, and then that was it. So they make it back to uh, to the Dixie Boy, and uh, Bill pulls up with the missile launcher, and now he just missiles the truck, so there's another one. That's the, the third time you've seen him use the missile launcher. Then they get inside, and then they have to tell Deke that uh, Duncan died, but they do it because Hendershot's basically like, uh, he's like, where's my dad? Oh, yeah, he got rolled up by one of them trucks out there. <laughs> so then they have to break the news. Like, yeah, yeah, he's dead. So he's upset. But, you know, he, he moves on pretty quick. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, his dad's just died. He's seen like a god awful scene in his neighborhood <laughs> where like 80 people were dead. But he's cool. He's cool. And this guy in the ditch that just <laughs> that was half dead and just grabbed him. And <laughs> but he's he's taking it like a champ. So the next, that's like at night. So like the next morning, a flatbed, a flatbed truck. I don't even know what kind of vehicle this thing is. It just looks odd. It looks like a flatbed truck with wheels and a steering wheel that has like a pole on it with a machine gun sitting on top of it. So I don't know what type of vehicle this is, but the important part is it it has a machine gun. Army. Yeah. (laughs) Army vehicle. Is what it says on the side. But it shows up with a bulldozer. Hendershot comes out with the missile launcher again. And then he he missiles the bulldozer. But then the flatbed gun, you know, starts shooting and kills him. And then it also kills three other random guys. You know, like guy number one, two, and three that you haven't, that haven't really had any lines in the movie that are, but, but are there in the truck stop. They all get mowed down by this flatbed machine gun. Man, um, I thought I was a surprise hero. Yeah. <laughs> So then the waitress, you know, who's gone crazy, Wanda June, she comes out and says, who made who? We made you. You know, like she's she's yelling this and then the uh, machine gun just shoots her down. Uh, but as she is shot and like she's uh, falling back, she has the missile launcher. And then she like, I guess, she, you know, she pulls the trigger and then blows up like a, a Bud Light truck that's over on the other side of the parking lot. <laughs> so Beard flies over. Light like trucks. Or... Yeah, well, uh, my bad. Now, uh, one interesting note I saw on the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff when I was watching it earlier is that uh, apparently they had to empty all of the beer out of those beer cans in that truck because otherwise, I guess it would have been a much worse explosion if you know they blow it up with all that alcohol in there. <laughs> so, like, they had to like one by one crack each can open, empty them out, and then put them back. So then the flatbed truck gun or whatever the hell I just said, the flatbed with the gun on it. Um, it starts doing more as coke. truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same one that came with GI Joe's back in the day. It starts doing more as code. And of course, Deke is a, you know, a boy scout. So he knows uh, what it's, it's doing. And it's basically telling them like, all right, you, you need to come out here and pump the gas. Cause we can't do it ourselves. What's awesome about that scene is like, uh, here, give me a pen and paper. I can't remember. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't figure it out all at once. And then he starts from the beginning of a sentence. <laughs> it just so happens, and, and then it stops, and he just keeps on writing. Yeah, <laughs> but that's how you decipher Morse code. Everybody knows it. Um, so then they decide to go out and start pumping gas until basically they run out of fuel. So they're just filling up truck after truck after truck, and uh, 
then they're out of fuel and like bill's like uh you've drained us dry you know there's nothing more we can do and then a, a, a fuel truck rolls up and like pushes them over to the little you know the where you'd hook up the, the fuel line or whatever and uh basically tells them like to you know stick the hose in there and we'll, we'll refill the tanks and we'll keep going so as he's doing this uh handy comes out and like walks him back in you know like he'll take his place because bill's just give out like he's got calluses on his hands and you know, it's just, it's, it's beat them down standing out there all day, I guess in the heat, you know, filling up these trucks. Don't you get high off of gas if you huff it too much? <laughs> I Pro- feel like all these probably high as hell. Yeah. <laughs> just smelling nothing but diesel fuel, diesel fumes all day long. Maybe that explains this movie. <laughs> they were just high on diesel fumes. <laughs> and this was all a, this was all a, a, a shared fever dream. <laughs> so after Bill gets a rest, he comes back out and like, uh, he goes over to one of the guys. He's like, yeah, just come with me. And when I tell you to run, you run. He's like, what are you going to do? And he just walks up to the, the, the flatbed truck with the gun and sets a grenade on it and then runs away and blows it up. So, uh, then they're able to go back down, you know, like to the basement or whatever, and then crawl back through the drain to escape. Then the trucks just, I guess they realize that nobody's there. So they just go, they just go crazy and start demolishing the Dixie boy and then blow it up. So, like, as they're, like, they've already crawled through the drain, and they're, like, across the street looking at this, they can see, you know, they're they're witnessing the Dixie Boy go up in flames. Then they're on their way to the marina, because I, I failed to mention their their big getaway plan is, you know, once they get out of there, they're going to find a sailboat, and they're going to go to this island called Haven, where apparently there are no cars allowed there, is what Bill says. So that's where they're going to go to, you know, to to ride this out, however long this lasts. And see, it's awesome, so, because cause it's a sailboat. It doesn't have a motor, right? Yeah, but yeah. every other boat does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know what you're getting at, but anyways, so uh, on their way to the marina, I, I love this because it's just it was probably a major undertaking to do this, but you don't see it happen. You just see the aftermath of it. They're going to the marina, and it cuts over, and there's a bus in the middle of the road with a plane sticking out of the top of it. Like, <laughs> <you know. laughs> and the bus isn't like torn up that much. No, it's just like a plane just thunk right into the top of the bus. <laughs> and then it just, yeah. just like, like still intact. Hey, hey, you know, it was a massive effort. I mean, like this is before like, you know, CGI and stuff. So like, yeah. this is, this is all practical effects, you know, which they <laughs> did a good job did. on, but there's like, no yeah, fire. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It just, a plane went thunk. And then that was the end of it. Right in there. The, you know, you see that. Too bad the internet wasn't like a big thing back then because like, there's so much to this movie. You can do like webisodes on them. What the hell? <laughs> so yeah, like they're they're managing to get away because they're making their way to the marina, and then they get up behind a restaurant, and the the sign is like uh, "humans here, humans here," <laughs> and Deke takes a machine gun and like you know kills it or whatever, and then uh, they're about to go back to the road, and they hear an ice cream truck, and it's that same one that was going through the neighborhood, kind of you know patrolling the neighborhood that Deke was riding around on earlier, and uh. Kurt and Brett run out with machine guns and like shoot it and it blows up or it explodes and flips, you know, so that that's basically kind of like one of the, the last big explosions you see, I guess. But like I saw in uh, once again in the behind the scenes stuff I watched that apparently it, like that thing almost hit like the guy that was running the camera or something like that because it it took a wrong spin or something. It was supposed to flip like two or three times one direction or something, but it didn't it didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen. And the thing basically flipped one time and slid right into the camera. So like another guy, I think the grip or something had to grab the guy and throw him out of the way, like right before the the truck hit the camera. Yeah, it was a dolly grip. Yeah, yeah. yeah so like that, that was pretty crazy. 
Yeah. But um, so they make it to the marina, and then Brad, who that was uh, what Leon Rippey's character that we talked about earlier, <laughs> he just goes over like there's this woman like hanging out of the car dead, and uh, you can see like she's got this big fat diamond ring on her hand. <laughs> so he just goes goes over and steals the ring, and he's standing there looking at it. And then the camera cuts to his left, and the got the goblin truck is just sitting there staring at him. <laughs> like how would you not have heard or seen that thing coming? Man, you know, so when you see a, a, I guess like a big diamond, it just you, you know, you, you get tunnel vision and nothing else matters. Oh, uh, you don't, don't, you don't worry about that's, anything, but the. It's sort of like you know you're you're you're, <laughs> you're at a strip club and you don't see how much money you're spending because yeah, yeah it's, it's, the ten dollar ATM fees. You are an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> see, Donnie, your thing is unrealistic. That was the first hybrid tractor trailer truck. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Mm. Um, so he turns around and the goblin's sitting there, and like, and then and then another thing about it too, like, okay, you didn't you didn't see it or hear it creep up on you. All right, you saw it when you did see it. You didn't run. You just stood there and went ha as it, <laughs> didn't move at all. as it charges you down. <laughs> he didn't even try is, to like dive left, dive right, nothing. He just accepted his fate. Ha! This is where Mike Myers got that scene from Austin. Yeah, Powers. pretty much. <laughs> so, but then Bill rolls in with that missile launcher again and uh, hits the goblin. And uh, the missile kind of goes into it. It doesn't blow up at first, but then it eventually blows up. So now the goblin is gone. And uh, they kind of celebrate. And then they all pile on the boat. And they take off and uh, sail for the island of Haven or whatever. And on a sailboat, like you said, didn't have a motor, but <laughs> all the other boats around it probably did, and now they're all dead. But <laughs> uh, submarines and cruise yeah. ships, <laughs> planes, you know, there are various ways. <laughs> after basically, I, I right, but right before the credits start, you see the words on the screen: two days after a large UFO was destroyed in space by a Russian quote-unquote weather satellite, which happened to be equipped with a laser cannon <laughs> and Class Four nuclear missiles. <laughs> approximately, <laughs> approximately six days later, the Earth passed beyond the tail of Rhea M, exactly as predicted. The survivors of the Dixie Boy are still survivors. <laughs> and then, then the end credits. So there we have it. Maximum Overdrive from 1986. So, Donnie, I guess we'll throw to you first. What's the, uh, what's your star rating on this? Uh, you know, it's. Like like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, I it is a fun watch. Uh, it's a you know it's violent, it's bloody. Um, you know, I I mentioned this before that practical effects will always heighten a rating for me. Um, you know, on the I guess on the flip side, uh, there's not really anything scary or frightening about this. Um, Yardley Smith's voice is annoying as shit. I know. <laughs> God damn it. I know that I know she's Lisa <laughs> Simpson and all that. Yeah. The fuck that. She's annoying as shit in this uh in this movie. And well, that's kind of the point. God damn it. That, that was, <laughs> hey, uh, that, 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 she's a good actor. Uh, yeah. Actress, that's yeah. The case. yeah. She can uh, uh warrant that type of response out of me. Then uh yeah, she did her job. Um, <laughs> you know, on on the other side also, I have no nostalgic uh connection to this movie like uh Michael um, you know, you or smoke. Um, but it, you know, like, like I mentioned, practical effects, it is a fun watch. Plus it's, it's random as hell, how, uh, logic is just kind of thrown into the wind. Um, I'm going to give it a, uh, uh, three stars. All right. Will, what do you have to say? 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh with two and a half, but it's a really fun two and a half. It is it is ridiculous. Uh, it has gaping holes like the Grand Canyon, but once you get past those, God, it's just it's just fun to to sit there, poke poke holes at, at the at the the plot, uh, and just uh, kind of get lost in this movie. So three from Donnie, two and a half from Will. Smoke, what do you say? Yeah, this is. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said before, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, and I could it. I could, it's a, it bears repeated viewings for me and doesn't lose any, I don't lose any interest in it each time I watch it. I'm going to go with a three and a half on it. I think it's, a, it's fun as fuck. It's entertaining as hell. And if this is a, this is what Stephen King can turn out on a, you know, mountain of cocaine. Let's, <laughs> hey, when you throw him another mountain there so he can make us another Maximum Overdrive type movie experience. But <laughs> no, I'm being kidding. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. But uh, I, I give it three and a half. I think it's, it's fun and entertaining. Like I said, it doesn't lose anything each time I view it. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you, man. I'm going to go with three and a half, uh, you know, for much of the same reasons all you guys said. Plus, you know, it has a little bit of sentimental value as far as like it's, it's been one of my favorites for a long time. Uh, this is one that I've been wanting to get to uh, here on the Spook Show, you know, since day one. Like I knew that this would definitely be one that we get to eventually and we finally got here. So I'm glad, uh, you know, we got to watch it and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it, you know. Pretty much almost just as, just as much as I did. And uh, Donnie, I guess with that, we'll go ahead and toss to you. What are the Crypt Connections? Connections from the Crypt. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, typically with the Crypt Connections, we split it between cast uh, connections and crew connections uh, to pass uh, Spook Show episodes. But... With Maximum Overdrive, we actually have Stephen King in both of those categories. Uh, Stephen King is, uh, if you go back to past episodes, has seven connections. Um, he showed, well, obviously as a writer for uh, episode number nine, uh, Pet Cemetery, episode number 16, It, episode 17, Creep Show, episode 33, The Shining, and episode 34, Dr. Sleep along with uh, episode 52, It Chapter 2, and obviously Maximum Overdrive. He, so those are the seven you know, writer uh, connections, but he also appeared in four past episodes. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Maximum Overdrive, this current episode, It Chapter 2, Creepshow, and Pet Cemetery. So it's not, you know, this will probably never happen again until we have another uh, Stephen King movie you know, to cover, but, uh, yeah, typically we don't, we don't run into this a lot. I, I, actually, I think this is the first time that we've had, um, you know, a, a crypt connections where, you know, we have someone who's, you know, has a, basically the cast and the crew has, you know, dominated one, one category. I right, so with that, we'll toss to Will. So with this one, I mean, if you really want to get weird and start counting uh, sentient beings being the uh, the trucks, you could really get up there. But I came up with the number of 32, uh, and I'm sure that could be uh, adjusted if you decided to sit there and, and go through this movie one by one. But so the people on the bridge, the crashed car when the bridge started to open, the motorcyclist, the truck driver when it fell into the uh, river, the car that was... Uh, uh, crushed by the van. I believe it was the woman that took the uh, 
uh, watermelon to the face. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought I'd say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see the uh the van that turned over I, i'm pretty much if anything happened to anybody in this movie i'm assuming they're dead <laughs> <laughs> the potato truck crushed the car driver all right i'm just gonna say all the people on the bridge because there's just so many <laughs> <laughs> then you get down to the dude in the arcade getting electrocuted the coach and the two kids getting pelted by soda cans the steamroller that's right a steamroller <laughs> yeah uh, running over a kid. Uh, <laughs> all the people in the neighborhood. Again, my favorite is the lady that clearly choked herself. I guess she saw everybody else dying and decided to die herself. <laughs> uh, the dog that choked on a toy. The yeah, dog. I forgot about that. That was awesome. <laughs> it choked on a toy. Yeah, like. there's like a like a cop car toy or something in its mouth, and it just. Uh. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, can't we get hit by the but, semi? By the way, I'm glad you pointed that out, but I don't think we can count the dog into the kill count, can we? Or, or have we ever decided on the old animal part of the? <laughs> Look, this movie didn't make any sense. Okay, well, think, we'll go with I it. I don't think this one has to yeah. <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, salesperson that got knocked into the, did you call that like a, a poop creek or something like that? <laughs> like, that's it's essentially just like, a sewer, right? It's just like a drain ditch. So the poop creek. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll go with that. Uh, the four guys that uh, got taken out by the uh, army truck and then Wanda that got taken out by the army truck the uh, unnamed woman uh, that was killed when her car crashed and then uh, uh, Brad after he stole that fat ass ring so what 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 number is that did you that you think you come to 32 I smoke after running that down that leads to you Gore score. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to go. Um, as, as anybody who's been listening to the show knows, that the Gore score is based on uh, the late, great Chaz Balin's Gore score for his Deep Red magazine and his uh, books. But uh, he did do a Gore score for Maximum Overdrive. So I think I'm going to, I think I'll default to it and, and say kind of why that is. And, and that it could have had more potential to be a higher Gore score. So uh, Chaz Balin gave it a five. I think I'm going to go with that five. The scene with the steamroller, as you know, as as terrible a scene as that is, or whatever it was, it would have definitely been a higher rating if it had if you gone with that blood bag explosion that we talked about earlier. And then the Coke machine, or the soda machine that launches the, the sodas out, hits the coach and the nuts first, then it hits them in the head. <laughs> I remember Fangoria back when this movie came out in '86. I had I don't remember what issue number, whatever 1986 issue was around the time this movie came out. There were some scenes or some still shots in that Fangoria, and one of them was that coach that got after right after he got hit in the head, he had like a big, I guess it was a bladder effect. He had like a bulge under his forehead right there, and then there was like a jet of blood squirting out. And so I assume that you know the can hit him there, boom, it made this form this big welt that squirted blood, and I assume the welt probably exploded. Not you know, it doesn't make much sense. Like that would happen, wouldn't necessarily happen. <laughs> no, but, but it would have been a cool gore effect. And what we saw was the aftermath of him laying on the ground with his head, blood right around his head, the size of the can or whatever. Right? Yeah. So, there's just like this. There's like this perfect uh, cut hole in his skin from the can. Yeah. I can only assume that, like I said, it hit him there, and the, the welt bladder effect probably exploded with a you know a blood squib. I would assume that would have probably looked really cool. But yeah, that got chopped out. So 
like I said, we'll probably never see a director's cut, unfortunately. Who knows if that footage still exists anywhere? Yeah. But uh, I'd love to see that. Uh, another in the steamroller scene, like we mentioned, uh, there were some scenes that did get, did get stay in there, like the, the truck hitting that guy, not the Green Goblin truck, but the uh, the regular rig that smashed into him, and there was a big splatter of blood across the grill. <laughs> Hot squids, you know, with the, with the, what did we call it? The flatbed machine gun truck, army yeah, truck thing? Yeah, whatever that thing is. Throwing people down, there was some good blood squibs there, I guess. And, uh, so uh, it could have been an eight, probably, if it, if it had been, it would have been released as an X rating, I guess. But, uh, but they had to trim a lot of stuff out. And back in that time period, man, mid-80s, mid to late 80s, they were really cracking down on the gore and horror movies, as we mentioned in prior episodes. So uh, I, I'm going to default to Chaz's five for the gore score. Well, I mean, I, I think that's a fair enough score. I mean, it's not a... Uh... You know, it's not an overly gory movie, and it, uh, especially it's not as much as like we've detailed here that it could have been. But um, you know, there's yeah. still some moment, there's still some moments in there, so I, I think that's a that's a fair score. So, all right, with all that out of the way, I guess that'll put a wrap on Maximum Overdrive. We'll tease what's coming up next next Monday on the Spook Show, which will be episode 74. We're going to be doing our next Spook Show spotlight episode, Origins of Halloween. Uh, we're going to be going through the kind of you know. I guess the history of Halloween and how we kind of got to the way it is celebrated today. You know, one, one of the holidays, of course, that we look forward to the most here on the Spook Show. But, you know, uh, uh, it's definitely one of the, I'd say, more favorite holidays of just about everybody. You know, even if you're not into horror movies, I mean, you probably celebrate Halloween. I'd, I'd say it's right up there, like a notch below Christmas, you know, maybe for some people Thanksgiving. But it, it's one of the more popular holidays, you know, throughout the calendar year. And it's, and from what I, you know, from what I know, you know, on the surface, and I'm sure we'll dive into that on the next episode. I mean, it's, uh, it's celebrated pretty much year round, right? Smoke or not year round. I'm sorry. World around the world is what I meant to say. Probably. Yeah. Well, some of us like, uh, yeah, do celebrate it year round. I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are some that are in a perennial state of, uh, Halloween, but yeah. Um, the, but after that episode 75, our, will be our next movie review, and we're going to be talking about the uh, more recent release, Caveat, which mm-hmm. came out, uh, I believe that came out in 2020, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I have the right caveat. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was there was a couple, there's uh, at least a couple other movies called Caveat, but this was the one, the horror movie, that came out from 2020. And uh, I'll read the brief IMDb synopsis. A lone drifter suffering from partial memory loss accepts a job to look after a psychologically troubled woman in an abandoned house on an isolated island. So I, I believe this is one that none of us have watched, right? Nope. I mean, I haven't. I have not. I have not seen it. I didn't get finished. I got, probably got like a few minutes into it. and just It was one of those nights where I was after work and I, I ended up falling asleep, not because it was boring, but because I was tired of shit. Yeah. <laughs> So that'll that'll be the next movie review episode. We'll hit that. Like I said, that'll be episode seventy five here at the end of September, and then after that, we're going to be, you know, cranking it up another level for the month of October. We'll get a lot of special special treats coming up in October. So uh, a lot to look forward to. But so I guess that's it for uh, you know. Did you guys have anything else to add about Maximum Overdrive or anything else before we before we tap out here? I just had one thing that I, that I forgot to mention during the show, and that none of us. Also mentioned that I think is definitely worth mentioning, considering the nature of what's going on in this movie with the machines, you know, going haywire and whatnot. But there was an accident, fairly serious accident on the set involving the uh, director of photography, Armando Nanuzzi. Mm -hmm. You remember the scene 
uh, it was in Wilmington. It was in the suburbs. This is the scene with the lawnmower going across the lawn in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Deke scene where he's going through the neighborhood. Yeah, that lawnmower apparently, or one of the lawnmowers, the radio control device on it went haywire, and the lawnmower ended up going blades first into a some some piece of lumber that was like a a, a camera mount. Something they had a camera mounted on, but it was lumber, and it hit it, and it, I guess it sent sprays of splinters in all kinds of different directions. And a major part of that splinter went into the eye of Armando Nanuzzi. And uh, he ended up losing his eye because, as a result of it. Good Lord. And, uh, yeah, I did read this. Yeah, I, and yeah, I spaced on mentioning it. Yeah, good good call. And then he sued Stephen King a couple years later, I guess after it went through the courts and all, or whatever it got his stuff together. I think it was like 1987 when he finally got the lawsuit together and sued Stephen King for $18 million. And uh, it didn't go to court. They settled out of court for an undisclosed amount of money, I guess. But wow. that was kind of just ironically weird that this movie's about, you know, machinery and thing devices going haywire and that's exactly what happened. And yeah. <laughs> another another uh ironic plot twist, you know, as far as the uh as far as that stuff is concerned, you know, like like we pointed out with the date of Stephen King getting hit by the truck and all that. So yeah, mm-hmm. another one of those uh weird connections. So yeah, that's messed up. I didn't know that. So yeah, I guess that'll wrap it up for Maximum Overdrive. So for uh, Will and for Donnie and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. Come back next Monday for our Spook Show Spotlight Origins of Halloween episode. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.